I'm going to read a scripture to you. I, I normally read scripture when I give a message, but here, I'm going to start off with one, and I hardly ever do that. I always give some kind of introduction first. Uh, and it's not one that you haven't heard before, and it's not one that you haven't heard me preach on before, because it's one of those Thanksgiving-type scriptures. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Is there a word there that bothers you? Is there any words there that, you know, that you say, well, wait a minute, I don't know about that word. I don't know about how that word is going to actually apply in, in my own life. Because I, I, I looked at that and I said, you know what word bothers me in that? The word all. That word all bothers me. See, I don't have trouble thanking God when things are going really well. You know, when I have trouble thanking God, when things are not going so well. And I don't know how to thank him for all circumstances. I actually did this message at the end of what I call my incarceration. You know what I'm talking about. I had spinal fusion surgery and I had to stay at the house and not go anywhere, not do anything except stay at the house. And you know what I did? I mean, as long as I could set up, I read the scriptures and I I worked on sermons. I am now working on sermons for the 1st of March right now. I'm telling you where I am. So I'm a little bit of a head, but those first few days that I came out of the surgery, you know, and I wondered how these sermons are going to actually re- look after I've been out of the surgery because I'm, I was on narcotics when I did some of these and, you know, wonder what's going to happen. I mean, I'm reading along and said, did I really write that down? Anyway, but the first few days were very painful. I did not know what it was going to be like. I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm probably just, they're going to do this surgery. I'm going to be pain-free instantly. I'm going to just skip, you know, out of the, out of the operating room. I'm going to go down and I'm going to be, you know, it's going to be so easy. I had no idea what spinal fusion surgery is. I will tell you one thing, it's not for sissies. I will tell you that right away. And so I did not, and I'm just being honest, I didn't give thanks. I didn't give thanks for, I don't think you have to give thanks for the surgery, but I wasn't giving thanks during all circumstances. Let's look at what the scripture says and what it doesn't say. We are to give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. You see, I want to tell you, folks, I'm not going to be thankful for the pain. I know that some people will say, you need to be thankful for the pain. I am not thankful for the pain. I am thankful for what the pain brought about. I was in a lot more pain before I had the surgery, so I did have to go through some pain in order to get out on the other side of that. I will say that. You know, James says in James chapter 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He says here, and it's very clear to me, that we are to take joy in the trials. We are not to take joy for the trials, though, but in the trials. See, we're looking for a result that is going to come about because of that trial, not looking for the trial itself. In other words, there's no, there's no, there's no virtue in just feeling pain. 
Just going, causing yourself pain. I mean, I've been with people, for example, and that, that say, well, I'm not going to do that because other people don't get that privilege. I've been, you know, I've been upgraded sometimes on, on some of my flights. They upgrade me to first class. And people say, well, I'm not going to do that because, you know, other people didn't get that. I'm telling you what, it doesn't do anybody any good if I don't take it. That's the way it looks. They're not going to give it to somebody else. So it doesn't do anybody else any good. I will say this, though. When I've been upgraded to first class and my wife has not, I gave her the first class seat because it wasn't going to be doing me any good if I took the first class seat. You understand what I'm saying? There's no virtue in just feeling pain. There's no virtue in just feeling pain for the sake of pain. But trials... They test our faith. It takes these trials to prove our faith. Sometimes trials may cause failure. You realize that sometimes you will have a trial and it will cause a failure. Failure. Uh, Peter had a failure in his life. Remember he, that trial that he he faced when he was confronted with, "Do you? You're a Galilean. You're one of his twelve. You're one of." He says, "No, I am not." In fact, he cursed. And he denied that he knew Jesus. And you know what was the result of him? The pain that was there? He went out and wept bitterly. But after that, Peter was faithful to the end. It had a result even though it was a failure on his part. There was a result. Holding on when tough times come produces a deeper endurance. It doesn't mean you won't eventually fail. And sometimes we're even embarrassed when we don't think the Lord is going to deliver us and then he does deliver us. I've told you the story before of when I was in Brentwood and the church had a, and I just started there and we got an escalating uh, interest rate on our house. We bought a house in Brentwood, Tennessee. We had this escalating rate. So what happened was every year it was going up 1% till it reached a, a maximum amount. And I thought that was okay because this church that I was going to, they had given a raise to their staff every year for 20 years in a row. 20 years in a row. And so I said, I'll have enough money next year to pay that higher interest rate because I will have more money. They'll give me a raise. (laughs) The pastor resigned within 10 months of me being there and the church decided to freeze all the finances, which is churches, and I got no raise. And you know what I did? I did what I normally do. I griped at God. I griped at God and said, God, how can you do this to me? I don't have enough money to make these house payments. What are you? And then something incredible started happening. You know, God will take care of you. I'd go out to my mailbox and sometimes find an envelope with several hundred dollars in that envelope. (laughs) And I'd go out there and go, this is nice. No name, nothing. Just, I'd go out there, time later, I'd find several hundred dollars in there. I started checking the mail quite a bit after that. And at the end of the year, I'd added it up and I realized that I got more through the mail, not the mail, it wasn't delivered, it wasn't, didn't have a stamp on it or anything, but somebody was coming and sticking this in my mailbox. I got more that way than I would have gotten if I got the raise. 
So the next year they said, we've got good news for you. We're going to give you all raises. I said, we need to think about that. (laughs) You understand? God took care of me. God took care of me and I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed because I didn't think he would. That's where I was. You see, but these failures give us a regret. A regret. And you know what? Regrets aren't all that bad. I think that regrets, we think of them as negative things, but they can be really positive. For regret is often a motivation not to do something we did or didn't do before. Regret's not bad. I thank God for my regrets now. See, they're reminders for myself. Uh, They're like a to-do list. (laughs) You know, you remember on Christmas Day one year, on Christmas Day, that's the important part, I decided to go out and chop some wood, put it in my fireplace. I had a whole bunch of wood. I was going to chop it up, and I was going to do it. And I got down to the last piece of wood, And that last piece of wood was about this big around, and it was about that long, and won't fit in my fireplace. One last piece of wood. So I leaned it up on that whatever I had there to lean it up on, and I decided that I'd take my axe and I would hit it right in the middle. Now, every wood chopper knows don't do that, because what happens if you hit it right in the middle? What does it do? It comes up like this, doesn't it? And if you're over it, hitting it like this, it comes up and it hits you right in the face. And so what happens is, is that it drives my tooth into my, uh, into my lip and it splits open really big and bad. And it is so bad. I say, oh, it'll be okay. You know, but every time I couldn't even smile, it just went, you know, opened up right here. And so I went in and took a shower. She said, you know, you could have hurt yourself, I think Karen said. I said, really? (laughs) And remember, what day is it? Christmas Day. Where do you go to get your lips sewed up on Christmas Day? You probably think the emergency room. I found a dock in the box. I went to the dock in the box, and the dock in the box, the lady that was the doctor that was there, I figured she had to be the low person on this totem pole, you know, to have to be there. She decides that, you know, it does need stitches. She needs to stitch it up. And so what she does is that she takes some lanocaine or whatever it is that they do to deaden it, and she shoots it and goes through my lip into my mouth and shoots everything into my mouth. So I have now a mouthful of lanocaine. But I have nothing in my lip. Swallowed it. it. I'm going to tell you something. Make your whole throat go numb. But then she gives me the shot and gets it in the right place and sews me up. You know what I learned? Two things. I'm not chopping wood on Christmas Day. And secondly, I'm definitely never going to put one out there and try to hit it in the middle ever, ever, ever again. That is a regret that has stuck with me and it keeps me from doing things that I shouldn't do. It is the truly the testing of our faith that provides spiritual growth. And maybe the, the thing is, is not the, the testing of the faith because something bad happened to you. Maybe it's a, a task, a difficulty in the task. 
And you say, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. And especially when God tells you to do something and you say, well, I just can't do that. I, I think of Moses when I think anytime I say, God, I can't do what you've asked me to do. <laughs> what about Moses? What did Moses say? How many objections did he make in order to say that I'm not eloquent? Well, how many times did he say, I can't be the one who does this. I can't be the one who does this. You realize he thought that maybe he thought he was going to have to do it without God's help. Do you realize when God tells you to do something, he's going to do it with you. You know, each week, I, I, I mean, I'm honest with you guys right now. I, I realize I can't preach. I realize every time I get up, I'm scared. I am scared. And, you know, then what I've realized is, and that's why I really, really have to have a time of prayer before I come and I preach. Because I realize that if God doesn't show up, I am in trouble, real trouble. And you know what's amazing to me? And it's amazing to me because I know that I didn't do it. And I mean that not in some kind of false humility. I mean, I'm just telling you the truth. When I see someone come to Christ, I say, look what God did. Because I know I didn't do it. And when I see someone growing in the Lord, I say, look what God did, because I know I didn't do it. And so I thank him and I give him glory because I would have nothing to say without him. That is the truth. You know, I I wonder if that's kind of the way the Bible was written. You know, inadequate people just simply responded to God's call. They just did what they couldn't do because God did it. He breathed these words into them and breathed in such a way that they were able to write it down. And it came through the way that it should have come through in a way that was without error because God was working, not because they were perfect. So I, each week, I look up to God and I say, God doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe me anything, but I know that God comes and supplies during inadequacies, and I am so thankful. And maybe God calls you to something, and you are thankful for that. We need to thank God for the good times, too, not just the tough times. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The word that gets me there is every, every. That when something is truly good, it is from God. You know, God does not change in his giving of gifts. He's not the, the kind of guy, he's, he doesn't at one moment, you know, that um, he's, he's on your case. And on the next moment, he's like the grandfather that doesn't care what you've done. He's just glad that you're around, you know. He's not the one starving you at one moment and then paying all your expenses at the next moment at the luxury hotel. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? God is in the business of giving. When he, it's not the bad things he's giving. He's giving the good things, the every good thing. I think that many people don't come to church. They don't come to church because they're afraid that God is going to do something bad to them if they come. Don't they know that God also exists outside the church? He doesn't have to wait till you show up to church if he wants to do something bad to you. But God is not in the doing the bad things to you business. They have no idea that God gives good gifts and so they only pray when they need something when we were children our parents used to say to us what do you say what do you say now and what would you we'd have to say thank you and it helped to remind us it reminded us of a couple of things one we didn't deserve what we got and that develops a gratefulness 
in our hearts that propels us forward in life. I've, I've read the biographies of many successful people, very successful people. They didn't start with a boatload of money. They were people that pulled themselves out of desperate situations to become leaders in their field. And you know what? I read these stories and what they have in common is, is that they commonly think of themselves as lucky. You will see them being very grateful in there. You see them, you know, they, they notice that other people didn't get what they got. They think of themselves as being fortunate and they spend their lives saying thank you. That's what successful people do. Now, if you were born with a boatload of money, that may not be true. But those that have seen their lives progress have done this. Giving thanks is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's what the first Thessalonian passage is. It's the first place you must be is in Christ Jesus. We must realize the immense value that we have for God, that he would bring Jesus Christ for us. That Jesus Christ would die for us. And we speak of our love for him and sometimes we talk about how much we value him and do not realize how much he values us. Love gives us this value. You know, children may not see the love that they have, but I can guarantee you parents do. Parents have the kind of love that what you parents do is that, you know, You have this little bundle of joy, we call it, that will keep you up at night. You understand what I'm saying to you? They keep you from just taking trips at any moment that you'd like to. You used to go and get pizza within 15 minutes, and now it takes you two hours to pack up all the stuff that you have to take in order to get them for the pizza. And then they keep you up all night. And it doesn't end when they become teenagers, by the way. They keep you up all night, especially when they're teenagers. You understand what goes on with this. They may even do harmful things to themselves because they're not thinking. And it makes us worry. But they are of immense value to us. Our children are of immense value because we love them so much. We love them so much that we lay down our lives for them. And that's what God has done for us. And God directs our path if we let him. If we let him, he will do so. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make straight your path. Many Christians know these verses, but few Christians understand what they mean. There is God who has a plan for every one of us, each and every one of us. God does not override our free will. I'm not trying to say that, but he wants everyone to walk the path that he has for that individual. And he made these plans before the beginning of the universe, before the beginning of time. And he's even taken into account the times that you will not walk with him. So that our paths will be crooked without the Lord. We acknowledge him in all our ways. You see, there isn't a day that we can walk with him and without him at the same time. And when we walk with him, he straightens out our path. He straightens out the crookedness that we were into. into. This comes from trusting him first. He's like the father who catches you at the deep end of the pool. You remember that with your children. You went to the deep end of the pool and you say, jump. And if you're a dad, you say, daddy's going to catch you. Don't worry. And why do the children jump? 
they jump because the child trusts you. That's the reason. You see, so we trust him first. And this comes from leaning on his word rather than on your own. It doesn't mean that you have no understanding, but your understanding is not the final way. My wife is an infection preventionist. That means in the hospital, they say that she is a subject matter expert. So even now she may be taking a text from a nurse. Because nurses call her often to, to ask about the protocol that they need when they're, they're dealing with some disease or some infection that is there. Now, these nurses have a whole lot of their own understanding. Do you understand? They're not, they're not like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. And they often really do know what to do, but they do not lean on their own understanding. They call my wife and they get what the protocol should be and what they should do. You see, that's what we do with God. I may know what I think I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to lean on his understanding. And this comes from acknowledging him in all your ways. We fail to realize that God often allows us to use the common sense that he has given us, but this does not mean that we're supposed to go solo without him. And so we place our plans before him, and he may or he may not change those plans. But it is here that he straightens out the crookedness. And there are those who believe sometimes that God doesn't care what you do as long as you walk inside the lines. I tell you, I do not believe this. I believe that God knows every breath we take. And it's interested in him. In Daniel 5.23, Daniel's addressing Balthazar. And it says, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of this house have been brought in before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone which do not see or hear or know but the God in whose hand is your breath. Hear that? The God whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Daniel tells Belshazzar that he has worshipped other gods who have done nothing for him. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. I'm not trying to tell you that God chooses whether I should wear this shirt or another shirt every day. But I'm saying that each day is his. And if we would do our to-do list that way, I think we'd have a different result. So whether we see good or bad things happening, our response is then to be thankful to God. Not for the bad things, but for what the bad things may produce in our lives, which is good things. Not for the good things in themselves, but because they don't need extra value, but in what the good things will produce in us. So we give thanks, especially at this time of year. We are reminded to. But I have an idea. How about let's give thanks next month, too? How about some more Thanksgiving? Let me tell you something. You realize God is always up to something? Think about that.